if you think about search engines and if you take a step back, their client ultimately, you know, are the people searching online. So if you can give them what they're looking for, then search engines will reward you. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to the dirt. All right, our guest today is a tech entrepreneur joining us from across the pond in England, where he is growing a quite interesting legal tech startup that puts simply, and hopefully I don't butcher this, the company makes it easy for non-lawyers to create contracts and track the data that they contain. More to come on that. While the company has had its share of success, which we'll get to, he, like all founders on the dirt, is here to share a few stories of life in the trenches, not just on the yellow brick road. So founder and CEO of Legislate, Charles Breck, welcome to the dirt. Thank you, Jim, for having me. Yeah, welcome, welcome. So welcome to the show, first of all, but also just to get us started here, can you just share a little bit about what you do and how you got here? Yeah, so I'm not a lawyer and I'm not pretending to be a lawyer. I have a background in engineering and worked at a machine learning spin out from the University of Oxford straight out of uni. And whilst I started in data science, I quickly moved to business development because I realized I wasn't the best data scientist, but I knew enough to be able to talk about it to clients. And whilst I was doing business development, I found that getting clients wasn't necessarily the hard part. It was actually closing the contracts. Mm. And the reason why you know, it was painfully long. And, you know, many people who listen to the show have probably created contracts and have experienced some form of friction with contracts. It was essentially because we were waiting for our legal teams, the client's legal teams to review, make amendments. And these were really simple contracts, NDAs or low value, you know, software agreements or low value POC agreements. And in multiple occasions, we were losing contracts post legal negotiation because throughout that process buyers would get promoted buyers would lose budget or simply buyers would lose interest and it was really painful to invest so much time in deals that would eventually collapse because of legal and i wanted to solve that with legislate so um started legislate two and a half years ago or just well between two and, and two and a half years ago um to make it possible for me the business user to create contracts in a safe way, in a way that I don't need to get my legal team involved at every single step. And second of all, once the contract's signed, I can easily query my contracts. I can easily share the data in those contracts, both with the systems that I use, whether that's a CRM or um, whatever other uh, data management system, or even with the other teams. Because what I also found was that post-contract signature, I found myself resending the same PDF to finance, to customer success. And they'd always ask, you know, mid, midterm, you know, oh, what are these terms? You know, when, when are we supposed to do this? And ultimately because, you know, PDFs, which is kind of the default 
format of of signed contracts is just not you know usable you can't really do anything with it so that's the long story behind legislate and what we're solving well if that's a long story then then listeners earn for a lot more <laughs> no i mean yeah. I, I i listen i've i've felt firsthand the pain of creating and negotiating and and doing all things contracts as a non-lawyer right both in a startup and outside and things are always lawyer readable, right? Things are always dependent on time poor lawyers. And so I see such a need for, for what you guys are doing. Now there's, there's, other, there's other tools like this out there, right? So where exactly does, does this fit into the realm of legal tech that really differentiates, that really differentiates you guys? Yeah. So I guess in terms of you know, other tools out there, uh, most legal tech tools optimize lawyers, which is great if you're a lawyer. But, you know, if you're a business user, that doesn't really get you very far unless you have a legal team. If they don't optimize lawyers, they optimize the tools that lawyers work with. So typically Word or PDF, which, again, is is great if you're a lawyer. But, you know, if, if you're actually a business user and you need to create your own contracts, Word or PDF it gives too much freedom. You know, there's too much room for error or mistakes. And then thirdly, Lawyers or Word or PDF, it's all unstructured data. You can't actually track the data in those agreements. So, you know, really where we try to position ourselves is around uh, making contracts machine readable. We're making contracts machine readable using knowledge graph technology, which we've patented. And we've actually been granted two patents with this approach, which, you know, also proves that we're a leader and, you know, quite early in the application of this technology to contracts and documents. And then finally, you know, where we're really trying to, you know, go a step further than all other systems is really, you know, streamlining the end-to-end. So not just the signature, not just the template, it's the end-to-end so that ultimately we can offer a more uh, robust and transparent experience to both parties um, when they create contracts. And then and then finally, because we we view contracts as part of a broader workflow than just the actual contract, uh, we really want to connect the data in the contracts to the tools that you interact with so that you can start to execute what's described in the contract. So a freelancer will need to generate an invoice based on terms which are described in the contract. So we want to be able to generate that because today most um, invoices have payment terms which contradict what's, what is agreed in the contract. Why? Because no one's actually you know read the contract or matched it. So um, we're, we're automating those connections so that you can, you know, after hiring an employee, set up payroll, you know, when you're a landlord and you're creating a property agreement, you can collect deposits, you can collect rent, all from the contract because everything starts with a contract. Mm-hmm. So basically being able to query um, intelligently everything post-signature that will pull from, you know, whether it's invoices or you know, phase two of the agreement or something in between, right? Being able to query that and, and automate that to a sense. Terrific. Exactly. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. When we look at the key issues with contracts, like let's just start there, right? Because you're an expert in this space now that you've built the company for, for non-lawyers to be able to leverage these types of tools as part of you know, really getting business done. What are the key issues that you see with contracts and and how to avoid them? So I think one of the first key issues is uh, just understanding. So if you are not used to creating contracts, first of all, you don't know what you're looking out for. And second of all, 
you might be tempted to give yourself some really favorable terms. So that's if you're a little bit more educated and you, you know, understand what's favorable or what sounds good to you. But the problem with that is it doesn't really provide, you know, robust foundations for negotiation and you'll always end up in the middle. So I think when there isn't that clear understanding or, you know, a genuine belief in fair terms, then I think that's when you start to get issues uh, with contracts. But I'd say the the other key issue with contracts is the language and the readability. So it, again, it kind of goes back to the understanding. So if you adopt language, which is hard to understand, then, you know, it, it doesn't create trust because, you know, why are you using complicated language for something which really should just be simple? And, you know, if you factor in a, a lack of understanding, then then ultimately, you know, you, you end up in a situation where it's, it's the unknown. But again, going back to, you know, what Legislate does, all the contracts on Legislate are good. They're lawyer approved, they're fair, they're robust, they're transparent. So I think, you know, despite solving this problem with with contracts, the, the only real problem that we face now is more when our users, maybe they don't understand enough about contracts and they might, you know, request changes to the actual agreement, which we will say, no, you can't because either it's not fair, it's not reasonable, or it's just not legal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's what's that like working? I mean, a, a, a technical solution for non-lawyers to uh, teach some of these things and educate on some of these things, I can imagine is um, there's a there's a heavy services element to that as well. Is that something that, you know, tell me about the interactions with with your ideal client profile and mm-hmm. how you've kind of gotten to that point. So first of all, we provide a lot of content on our website and that's actually how we source most of our prospects um, content, which explains, you know, which contracts to use for the specific situation, or once you've kind of worked out, you know, which contract is relevant for you, then what needs to be in your contract mm-hmm. or, you know, what are the risks of not using any old contract on any of using any old contract, et cetera. So um, we, we provide all that content. And usually when a customer or a prospect kind of signs up, they've already been through that um, journey when they're on the platform itself, we allow users to create contracts by answering questions, uh, which again are relatively simple. They have their own, you know, uh, help boxes where clients can kind of read and un- understand what this question about. Um, but but generally speaking, just by presenting a contract in the form of a set of questions and answers that provides some level of education, because we're only really asking questions about the key terms. And at the end of the day, the key terms are what matter to the business user. So that's kind of how we overcome that education barrier. And then, you know, only if, you know, the client's gone through that process, the contract's been generated and they actually read the the contract, um, they sometimes have questions and we address them by, uh, we've got this toggle, which will explain, you know, the clauses. Um, But if even that doesn't help, then, you know, we might, you know, have a call with them. Uh, but that's usually quite rare. And I also think that because we've been, um, you know, working quite closely with our clients, we're also, you know, understanding what are their common questions and how can we kind of preempt them? And also what are the uh, market standard terms? Because we source our contracts from, you know, the gold standard libraries that all the law firms, you know, get their contracts from. Mm-hmm. But those uh, libraries and templates, they will include everything, you know, every possible 
clause and situation, you know, relevant to that contract. Whereas when you speak to uh, clients and you understand what is market standard, then you end up, you know, effectively removing a lot of unnecessary items, which actually might have, you know, created some negotiation, um, you know. So, so I'd say we, because we've now been tried and tested by real users, real customers, and it is collaborative initially, um, it becomes, you know, less collaborative down the road. Sure, sure. That's great. Um you're a you're a solo founder, right? Um, and we've had a lot of guests talk about partnership and co-founders on the dirt, but you've started a company, right? Your first one. Um, and you've been in startups, other startups in the past as well. W- what do you see as kind of the the core benefits and challenges of of going at this alone as a solo founder? So first of all, I'm a solo founder because I couldn't find a co-founder. And I, um, you know, I didn't want to just hang around. I, you know, I, I almost had a co-founder and he was about to resign and then his employer made a counter offer and, you know, didn't quite have the guts to turn that offer down. And, you know, I, I think there are definitely challenges of being a solo founder, but I feel like those challenges, I felt them more, you know, in the first months of the company where I really was by myself. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot harder to hire because when you're by yourself, then you know potential employees might be wondering, well, why are you by yourself? Why don't you have a co-founder? Um, and when I started the company, I only had three years of professional experience, so I didn't have a, a huge track record either. To say, you know, I worked at Goldman Sachs. This is why you should, you know, work for me. Um, type of thing. So it, it it was definitely harder at the beginning to attract people. Um, but I'd say the, the key benefit is, um, there's no such thing as, you know, co-founder disputes because at the end of the day, you know, I, I can make decisions quite quickly, but, you know, obviously you don't want to, you know, make decisions quite quickly and go down a rabbit hole, um, that you can't pull yourself out of. And I feel like that's something that, uh, I counterbalance by engaging the team and, you know, being challenged by the team around, okay, what is the right decision? Sure, sure. Are there any um, any stories you can share of when you just wish, damn, I wish I had a co-founder, <laughs> or or the or the opposite? Wow, I'm really glad I'm a solo founder. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I definitely uh, wished I, I had a co-founder um, in the very early days when we didn't have much funding because founders work for free effectively. And I just thought, you know, it would be great to have one more person working as hard as me. Um, we'd be able to go twice as fast and maybe it would have made everything uh, easier. I also wished I had a co-founder when, you know, in the early days, I, for example, I hired a CTO and he quit after a week. So then it, that would have been a lot, lot better if that was, if I had a co-founder, but it is what it is and you just need to move on. I'm going to tie, tie a couple of things you said earlier to that. So you mentioned that there's been um, this repository of content that you guys have created to help not only educate, but also drive new business your way, right? Would that be fair to assume, you know, largely growing the company through SEO then within that content? Okay. So, yeah. And um, did you grow up, um, you know, with your with your skill set was marketing in, in one of the top ones or were there some lessons learned in not having a co-founder and realizing the power of what SEO can do for you. So I'm not a marketer and I guess 
pretty much everything uh, for me at least is self-taught mm. when um i was i was first exposed to content marketing when i was working at the previous startup and it was more because i felt that a topic like machine learning six years ago was you know a lot less known now you talk about machine learning pretty much everyone has heard of it or understands what it is about but six years ago it was a completely different story there was a lot of you know needing to explain what machine learning is before you could even talk about the benefits and because we were also quite a, a deep tech research heavy company we were kind of you know going D- deeper than just you know what is machine learning it was more things like what is bayesian optimization and um i found that if i could write about those topics i could teach myself about those topics because to write about it you need to understand it uh-huh. and then second of all once those topics were written and covered then it would help our clients but prior to the meeting or at least it would give them material that they could forward internally or even it would actually attract you know readers and actually we were posting uh, articles on medium and very quickly we got over twenty thousand views uh for you know a couple of pieces of content and i thought actually you know there is potential here so that was part of my uh business development strategy at mind foundry the company to just produce content and when i started legislate i thought well you know, it's not too dissimilar. Contracts are, you know, a pretty complicated topic, even for lawyers. Why don't we, you know, just start writing? And I didn't necessarily think uh, SEO at the time would be our main channel or that it could be a channel. I just thought it's important for our users and our customers to know what they're signing and what they can create and what why they should choose us versus download a free template online or, um, you know, whatever. And um, and just started putting out content. Yeah, and SEO just um, for those that might not be aware, search engine optimization, basically organic reach through content, um, like the folks at Legislate are doing. So, um, any any lessons learned as or or tips you can offer others that are going through, you know, the exercise of how can content marketing or SEO help me? I think when a founder or anyone says, oh, I I don't know how to write, that's an excuse. And I didn't know how to write before. And, you know, whenever we hire people, uh, everyone in the team contributes to the content. So we do all our content in-house, whether you're an engineer or legal or sales and marketing person, you need to produce some content. And we've even had, for example, interns who had never written articles before they hated it at the beginning and then they just loved it at the end um so i think you know the first first part is just to force yourself to actually write um because it forces yourself to first of all understand truly what it is you're doing or the the topic that you're writing about and then second of all it forces you to explain it in simple enough terms to convince someone that i know what i'm talking about and therefore I can educate them and and they'll feel like they've learned something from this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think, you know, that that's kind of the the key thing because there are lots of founders that I meet or whatever, that, oh, no, I, I don't have time or I don't know how to write. And and I think, you know, you can always find time and and everyone can write. And and if you can't, then you just need to view it as a self-improvement skill and and just work on that. But then I think in terms of how to kind of align your content to SEO, it's 
combination of factors and, and I wouldn't call myself a SEO expert, but I feel like my engineering mindset has helped me understand, you know, what is it that search engines are looking for? Mm-hmm. And if you think about search engines and if you take a step back, their client ultimately, you know, are the people searching online. So if you can give them what they're looking for, then search engines will reward you. And if you take a step back and think, well, what is it that a searcher would like to find on my website? And, you know, in our case, legislate that's contracts, then we really need to think about what would a searcher want to find. And there are many types of searchers that are looking for contracts or legal related documents, or, um, you know, you can go a lot deeper. You can say, well, customers who are searching for contracts, they also have employees. Therefore, they're also interested in HR topics. And so if you can, you know, cover the full end-to-end of, um, you know, who are the different people searching in my space and what are the different levels of content they're interested in? It might be guides, it might be, you know, uh, explainers, it might be how-tos, it might be, you know, just something to download. Um, As long as you cover the end-to-end, of different levels of commercial intent, different personas, and then start to kind of really build content hubs, um, then you can build authority and then, you know, all of a sudden start to rank, not because you've optimized for SEO, but because you've optimized for your readers who are ultimately going to be hopefully your customers. Well said. Yeah, well said. Any any uh, times that you did something different than that, that you uh, that you learned from in the process? So we've we've definitely had a lot of fun with SEO because um, there are all sorts of tools that tell you. I mean, Search Console is is still the best tool in my opinion, which is Google's product, which you link to your website and it will tell you all the queries that customers use to find you or even appear in in their impressions. And um, sometimes we found really random things like uh, slugs in the house. And we thought, why not just create a page about slugs in the house and see what happens? So uh, we've got various pages where we're number one um, for really random terms, but they're more, you know, vanity metrics. And I don't think they're actually contributing to our, you know, SEO success. So I think, you know, those are rabbit holes that we went down and sometimes, you know, you might try to optimize for traffic, but, you know, so go going by going after um, a really, you know, high volume keyword, like, uh, a login page, for example, of, of a certain company. or um, But even if you rank well, the traffic that you get doesn't actually do anything. So, yeah. um, and, and that's, you know, examples when we've deviated uh, from the core and I'd say we, it was, it was more, um, you know, fun, but again, you shouldn't really be doing that. Yeah. So not all, not all traffic is good traffic. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of vanity metrics in quantity rather than quality to to learn from there. Yeah. When you um when you think back to um your favorite moment in in getting to today at legislate, are there any any that come up as is just man like that was a good time? <laughs> Anything that 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 you can share that might be helpful for uh for others listening in? Um I mean, I, I feel like when we secured our first uh, round of institutional funding, because prior to that, there was a lot of needing to prove myself, prove the company, prove the vision. And I feel like, you know, at the time also, we we barely had a product because 
I, I was coding, had a couple of consultants helping out. And um, whenever I'd explain, you know, why are we using knowledge graphs? It would be, well, you know, why are you using knowledge graphs? You know, it's, it's a waste of energy, time. And, um, or they'd be like, oh, I'll just DocuSign or, you know, why not just use a template? And it was a real, you know, really frustrating, you know, it felt like I was constantly hitting a wall. And then when we did secure that funding, it allowed us to build a team. It provided some credibility, less credibility than I thought, but it provided some credibility with who we were speaking with or with clients. But ultimately, because we had a team of now 12 and were able to build a real product, get some real content on the website and just progress in our vision, um, not only that itself did it give us some credibility, but it also then helped me understand how to better talk about the company. It helped us get more client interactions, therefore understand what was special about what we were doing. And I feel like even today, you know, I'm still learning about, you know, what is it that we're building? Obviously there's a vision, there's a roadmap, but you only really, you know, learn as you, as you go. And, um, and I feel like that that round of funding was kind of a key moment for getting to where we are. Yeah. Any, uh, any roadblocks or obstacles that were in the way during that, that funding venture, if you will. So I only, um, gave two pitches, um, because I also recognized that based on the state of the company and the fact that I was a solo founder, um, I, and without much professional experience, I could only really go to, uh, the investors of the previous company mm. and, um, you know, one said yes, the other said no, and, uh, hopefully the other regrets, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, if, if, if we, we do another round of funding, then it'll be a different story. And then, um, um, I'll have to you know learn how to do that. But there's a, there's a good underlying tip there for, for folks, which is don't just, you know, go out and focus on quantity on the investment side either. Right. Be strategic about who you want to talk to and why and the message to them and and the narrative. And while those results can't always be duplicated where you talk to two to get one to invest, um, certainly can uh, can streamline the process as much as possible. So, yeah, still some some good lesson in there. All right. So, um, you know, we've gotten to this point, um, you know, with the company and you guys are you know off running, you've got funding, um, but obviously there's still things that keep you up at night. So. What are what are those? What are those things that still keep you up at night? Well, I I think as a startup that you know now has twelve employees, you know the next phase of the company is going to be around growing a bit more aggressively, doubling headcount, and you know expanding into new geographies. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we can do it, and that's where we need to go as a business. But we need to prove to our next round of investors that we can actually do that or that we're the right company and that this is the right vision. So I think whilst I do think we're in a good position and, you know, the stars are aligning until they've aligned and that's done. It's, um, it's definitely, you know, the top of my mind. Well, best of luck to you. And and hopefully there's some folks listening in that, that are perking up and think that might be a, a good opportunity for them to invest in given uh, the great work that you guys are doing. So um, on that note, at this part in the show, we do what's called a founder five, right? Listeners know that this is really just a series of five rapid fire questions. And um, I'm just going to start throwing a few things your way and we'll see if we can get through them in around a minute. Does that work for you? Yeah. 
All right. Awesome. So the first one is the number one metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on. Uh, customer growth. Awesome. Um, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. Look up to uh, later stage startups, founders, or just any founder who's been there before. Nice. Uh, on that note, favorite book or podcast or founder who's been there before that's helped you grow? Um, I mean, founders being there before would be the previous, um, uh, well, the, the, the CEO of uh, the previous company I worked at, who's a great mentor. Um, and then podcast, that would be uh, 20 Minute VC uh, by Harry Stevings. He interviews lots of VCs and founders. So that's, that's very interesting. And book is never split the difference by uh, Chris Voss. Awesome. Um, what actor would play you in a movie? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio only cause I, I don't know the names of many actors. <laughs> Sign that you've been building pretty hard. That's good. Uh, what is going to be the title of your autobiography? Um, if I want to be boring, it would be uh, never stop working. Um, but if I want to be a bit less boring, it would maybe be um, early bird. Maybe it'll be a two-part series then. There you go. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, you've given so much to our listeners, Charles. I always allow for a little bit of self-promotion at the end here. How can how can those listening help you out? Yeah. So if anyone wants to create lawyer approved contracts on no legal budget and more importantly, track the data in their contracts so that they can automate their compliance or just streamline their workflows, then um, please visit our website and create contracts with us. And if, uh, you know, just as we close off here, how can listeners get in touch with you is the best way through the website or. So website, LinkedIn, um, email, I'm quite responsive. Perfect. We will uh, put some links in the show notes here as well then. So, all right. Thank you so much for joining on the dirt and uh, get back to building. Thank you, Jim. All right. Take care, Charles. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.